Holy Spirit, move upon the hearts of every single person listening today, be it here in front of us or out on the internet. Holy Spirit, do your work in our lives. May we be a living sacrifice. Teach us what that means, I pray, in the powerful and everlasting name of our Saviour, Jesus Christ. And all the people said, Amen. Thank you so much, guys. We're in the series, part two, called Built Strong. Well, this week I felt anything but strong. Actually, if I looked at the last seven days, I spent about one and a quarter days locked up inside a car, steering at a steering wheel. Thank you, Mother. Long story. But it gave me a thought for this message. And I thought, a steering wheel is what I'm going to use as a focal point. Because all of us know what a steering wheel is, right? Some of us need to know what it is a bit more and to use it a bit more. But a steering, point, a steering wheel is used to guide, control and direct a car. Well, theoretically, at least anyway. That's what it's supposed to be. And again, it brought back memories of me as I was just thinking about a car and a steering wheel. Between our first child, Miss Helen, whom you know is pregnant, I announced that last week, was born. And I remember taking her or thinking in my arms for the very first time. I thought, what an incredibly precious little bundle. And I almost felt a sense of trepidation. And I was struck with how delicate and how precious she was. That came into strong focus when the time came to go home. And all of a sudden, out of the security of the hospital, I was going to have to take this precious little bundle into the wide, wild west called the Auckland Freeways. <laughs> and I, at that stage, became very territorial and denied anybody else the right to carry my daughter safely back to my home. It was my responsibility and nobody, none of the extended family were getting that. It was mine. And the reason why I felt that is because I felt I wanted to protect her. And I was, believe it or not, nervous. Here's a guy who at 18 years old has driven 20 tonne trucks down the Whitford Gorge with a stack of metal on the back. I don't mind driving anywhere, but with that little precious bundle, being very mindful of that, I was nervous. Far more nervous than even when I got my truck licence. That's a very scary day. You were aware of everything around you. Now, does anybody know what the next really scary day is with your kid in the car? When they're driving you. <laughs> or let me say, they're wanting to learn to drive. It's probably more accurate. Now, what happens then is they move from this seat here over to that one. And they want to learn to drive. And they move from riding along with you to the driver's seat. That is a very tentative moment. And I should know that. And especially with Helen, because she's quite creative in all things that she does. And she applies that talent to driving. Let's say she thinks she wants to do it her way. Actually, it's a miracle that I'm still standing here on two legs. After teaching four of my children and my wife, who was at that stage my girlfriend, to drive. Uh, one of my zealous learners, which will remain nameless, but the name rhymes with schmimberly muckly. 
in whom attempt to drive, actually that can stand to two possibilities if you didn't get the rhyme, we're driving along Moore Street where the old Marbix used to be, hardware shop. And there we are in a car. There were cars parked here, cars parked there, and a 12-ton truck coming this way. My sense of driving says, we ain't going to fit that gap. Oh, yes, we are. And indeed, we did. Mine is two wing mirrors. That's a fact. I live to tell the tale. Amazing. Just one other one. Oh, no, it must run in the family. My youngest son, who is six foot three, um, I, I, when I teach my kids to drive, I like them to get the real hang of it. So, you know, we're coming back from Tyro, I said, you are driving. So we get through the hills, that's all good. So he must have got stuck in autopilot mode, like foot to the floor. We're coming along... Uh, snail, no, just along here. Just, just, actually, just, just part, in fact, those traffic lights out there, whipping along Chapel Road there, whipping along there. But he must have been in sort of like motorway mode for too long because the lights went red and he goes, I'm hanging on to the handbrake, pulling it back as he sails clean through a red light. <laughs> Forgotten what a brake is, just quite oblivious. Like, what did I do wrong? Straight through a red light. I'm sure you've had similar experiences. What I'm trying to say to you is this. It's a big moment when you hand over the keys to somebody else. When you trade seats in that car, because up until now, you've been driving. You're in control. And when you're driving along in the drive alongs, uh, in, in, in the driver's seat, you get to choose the destination. You get to choose the speed in which you get there. And you get to choose the route in which you're going to get there. But if we're to change seats, if you're going to drive, I have to trust you. Because it's all about control. We just sung about that a second ago. And I want you to turn to the very first scripture. Matthew 16, verse 14, uh, 24. If... Now, I want you to stop right there. If anyone would come after me, that's Jesus Christ, he must. Now, that's very strong language. In fact, as I looked at this this week, I got a fresh appreciation for what this means. He must deny himself. So how old? If anyone wants to come after me, I must deny myself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever, for whoever wants to save his life, and I think that counts for every person in this room, will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. A very hard hitting scripture. There's many others, but I want to focus on this. Whoever wants to be my disciple, the Amplified says. Whoever wants. Anybody want to be Jesus' disciple? Not so many takers at the moment. Let me ask that question again, quite honestly. Does anybody want to be Jesus' disciple? No pressure. You choose. You choose. If. Remember, Jesus said if. It's your choice. Nobody's forcing you here. It's your choice. If you do. If you don't, this doesn't apply to you. The question I need to ask at this point in time is, 
do I want to be a disciple of Jesus? Do I? That word in that scripture, deny, let me be clear, I spent another hour this morning looking around the meaning of that, the shades of meaning in Greek. This is what deny means. You may want to write it somewhere at the side so you don't just forget because it's a very strong word only used 13 times in the New Testament. Very strong word. It means to forget oneself, to lose sight of one's own self-interests. Whoa, I was getting nervous again about that. It should make you nervous. It makes me nervous. To deny is to forget oneself and to lose sight of one's own self-interests. So if that's what it means, and that's what Jesus said, there has to be a responsible question asked here. When was the last time I denied myself something for the cause of Christ? Wonderfully last week, some of you in this congregation gave 6,000 something on dollars. Now you could have used that to go on a holiday, but you said no. I wanna make this count for eternity because whoever helps one of the least of these is helping to me. Whoever gives to the poor is lending to the Lord. Some of you last week demonstrated that not in word or thought or mental ascension to that concept, you delivered on it. God bless you. So when was the last time I denied myself something for the cause of Christ? And let me be clear about this, just to bring some more sharp focus around this definition. We're not talking about, oh, let's just deny myself an ice cream. We're not talking about, oh, I'll just deny myself necessarily. Let me be real clear. I'm moving one step further. A luxury down here on this earth. What this verse says is let him deny himself. Now you already know that the hardest person in the world to deny is yourself. To deny myself desserts sometimes. Mm-hmm. can be hard enough. Yeah, it can be. To deny myself though, is to put myself out of the driving seat and to put Christ in place of self. That is to deny myself. My interests are sidelined, his interests are foremost. His ones come to the top of the queue, the top of the priority list. That's what that means. And he says, and take up his cross. Oh, I don't like the sound of that. They are heavy. About 60 odd kgs on the back of your neck. And by the way, just for the historians amongst you, they didn't carry the cross, you know, like this. They carried the cross beam because that one was left close to the place because it was used so often. So it was one big bar and it was very heavy. Chuck, one, two, three, about three sacks of, um, well, 20 kgs, obviously. So take up his cross and follow me. But notice, we're not to take up Christ's cross, but our own cross. And there is a cross for you, one for you, Gavin, and one for me. And mine's different to yours. And that is if we're going to follow him. If we don't, we just lay it aside and just carry on our own merry way, living for ourselves. 
Real discipleship implies real surrender. Surrender. In the same way you surrender the steering wheel and you get out of the driving seat and you sit in the passenger seat. You surrender that position and the right to guide, control and direct the, the destination of that vehicle. Now really, whoever is driving is the one in control. If Jesus is driving... I'm not in control anymore. I'm not in charge of my life anymore. He is because he is King Jesus. He has the right to call the shots. He's the chairman of the board. We used to say he is Lord, but many people don't understand what Lord means. Let me put it into the modern day vernacular. He's the chairman of the board. He calls the shots. What he says goes. That's what it means. Jesus is the chairman of the board. It's his agenda. And it's his life. It's not my agenda and what I want to do. I'm about his agenda and his life because I'm an ambassador of Christ, as is every other Christian who says, I am a Christian. We are ambassadors. We represent his kingdom, his values, and his priorities, not our own. A few years back, I had a very interesting experience. I decided there was a time in my life when it was appropriate to take a road trip with my family, plus Mother B. Now, if you do the quick math, that's seven of us in one vehicle. <laughs> oh, boy. And no matter where I was going, whether it was even three blocks away or 300 miles away, somebody in my family has an opinion. Maybe it's like that in your, your family. And as soon as we start going down the freeway, why are you going that way? It's the long way. Why are we going here? And of course, there's one driver and six backseat drivers. That made for a very pleasant conversation wherever we went. <laughs> because everybody in my family wants to sit in that seat. <laughs> and you may have had a bit of arm wrestling there too. And here's why I bring this up. This is something every time you see a car tomorrow, it'll remind you of this message in the steering wheel. I want you to cast your mind back. Not long ago we had Easter, remember? Let's just go back a little here. Before we even got there, and Jesus comes rolling into town in a Fiat Bambina. Not a Ferrari, he was on a donkey, which is a significant step down from a horse. He came very humbly at Easter. And everybody was, what were they saying? Hosanna, Hosanna, cheering in, the scriptures say. How fickle are the crowds? Cheering him. Here he is, Hosanna. Hosanna, Jesus, come take care of me. Heal me. That's what they were saying. Come deliver me and us from these heathen Romans. Come help me. Come on, take back the temple. Come and rearrange the circumstances of my life the way I want them to be. We all shout, Hosanna. If you do what I want my way, there was something terribly wrong with that picture. He is God and we are not. 
Sometimes I fear we treat him as the genie. Like everything revolves around us. Science made that mistake many, many years ago when they used to think that the sun revolved around the earth until we had the Copernican revolution. We all shout Hosanna. If you do what we want, if you're in our car. We're glad to have you along actually for the ride, Jesus. Because we feel safer with you next to us. But just remember, Jesus, it's our car and it's our keys. We only want you there, just alongside. Actually for a bit of fire insurance when we die. And a bit of soul comfort whilst we're here. Remember, Jesus, this is our way and we want to get about our business and please don't tell us what to do too much. But we'd love you to be in the car for our peace of mind and especially for our safety and God look after our house when we're away. See, a lot of people find it pretty handy to have Jesus in the car as long as he stays in that passenger seat. Because something may come up and, he, and we may require his miracle services. You see, Jesus, I have a health problem right now and I need some help. Or, Jesus, you know, there's some flipping awful things happening at work right now. And I'd like it to be very different. Or, I'm really feeling anxious and I'd like some of your peace of mind. Or I'm feeling a little sad. I need some of your hope. And here's one I find almost without exception. One day I'm going to face death, Jesus. And I sure want to make it into heaven. What those people are saying is basically, I want you in my car, but I'm not so sure I want you driving my life. I don't want you driving because if Jesus is driving, his implication, I'm not in charge. I'm not driving. I'm not. Now, if he's driving, I'm not in charge of my, let me put it clearly, of my wallet anymore. I'm not. It's not my wallet. If I put him in control, then it's no longer a matter of, wow, I'll give some money now and then when I'm feeling generous, if I'm in the mood. Or I'll reserve the right to keep what of his money I want and to live the way I want to live on his money. If I now realise it's his wallet, it's a very scary option. Here's how this works. If I gave, thanks, if I give this to Martin, Martin, whose wallet is that? It's mine. So if I, you can get to keep that, Martin. You do what you like with it. But when I need to come and get some money, is it quite reasonable for me to come down and say, Martin, could I please have $10 out of that? What's unreasonable about that? because I gave him it in the first place. And take the $10. No cash, never have any cash. <laughs> Does that make sense? And if Martin didn't give me the $10, 
I'd call the police because it's my money. No, it's mine now. No, no, Martin, I just lent it to you to look after it. And I need you to use that for my purposes, not to squander it. If Martin lent some of his executives in the corporation money to do certain jobs and they weren't getting on the job with his company, but they were spending it on their own stuff, there'd be a problem. There's a problem of ownership. There's an ownership issue here at stake. Interesting one to wrestle with, isn't it? You've got to think it through practically. Now, if I'm not in charge of my ego anymore, my ego, I no longer have to satisfy every self-centred ambition. Oh, I'd like to do that. I'd like to do this. I'd like to do that. What I want, where I want. See, notice the orientation is very egocentric. All about me. My needs, me, 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 me. No, it's his agenda. He gave you life. He gave you this gift. Now, if I'm not in charge of my mouth anymore, listen carefully. This is just as important as the money. If I am not in charge of my mouth anymore, I don't get to gossip. I don't get to flatter or shade the truth or cajole for my own selfish ends or to manipulate or rage because the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and what? Self-control. There is no excuse for people who call themselves ambassadors of Christ for flying off the handle with a lack of self-control. None. Because the more you know Jesus... The more self-control, the more love, the more joy, the more peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control you will exhibit in increasing proportions. It's a great litmus warrant of fitness for our spirituality. Because I tell you what, if you have the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Sorry, that's a bit fast, my Spanish friend. What else are you going to teach a person if you live that? So it's not my mouth anymore if Jesus owns it. I'm fully engaged. In fact, I'm more fully alive than I've ever been before. But it's not my life. It's his life starting to shine out. So here's a question on this day that our wonderful Father has gifted us today. And King Jesus gets glorified in this day. Here's a question. Who is really driving your life? Have you surrendered it? Or is Jesus just in the car? Be honest. It is zero point. This is a very sharp focus. Is he in the car or driving the car? Is he just along for the drive? Have you ever said to him, all right, Lord, I now give you the keys to my life. 
Because Jesus is very clear about this. And hear this very carefully. There is no way for a human being to come to God that does not involve surrender. There is no way. See, that's the gospel of the hot sale. Oh, I'll come to Jesus and He'll do this, 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 this. Hold on. That is another gospel. That's the fifth gospel. Doesn't exist. There are four. But people will try and sell you the gospel of the hot sale. See, it's attractive. It appeals to ourself, our flesh. Discipleship is on God's terms. Justice coming to Him is on His terms. So it's your choice. But these are my terms. You come, you need to surrender. The Lord here reminds us that the key to discipleship in winning by losing, let me say that again, in winning by losing, it'll involve self-denial. And that means that King Jesus gets the full rights to call the shots. The full rights. That means I deny my right and I say, God, you know the best. You are the one that gets to call the shots too. It involves cross-bearing. Cross-bearing. That's putting his mission first. And I've got to tell you something. In case it surprises you, it is going to require time, effort and energy. It is not easy. So if any of you today haven't come to Christ yet and you think it's going to be easy, I want to put that straight. Increasingly, as I see across the world right now, Christians are going to suffer. Probably, We're going to start to, probably in my lifetime, mimic Christians in early Rome. And we'll know more next week as the Supreme Court casts its vote in a few things in the States. The third thing this principle involves is loyal obedience. So self-denial, cross-bearing, and loyal obedience. The first requirement of of discipleship is self-denial. A person who is not willing to deny himself cannot claim to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Because saying, see, there's there's only one first. You can't have two firsts. Either Jesus is or you are. You cannot have two firsts. So we find statements in Jesus' teaching throughout, like these ones. Whoever finds their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Well, Jesus puts it another way. I tell you the truth, that unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed, but if it dies, it produces many seeds. Or he puts it another way. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up the cross and follow me. Now, let me be clear about this because there's been a lot of taught taught on this subject. Surrender is not the same as being passive. Part of God's will for your life is that you are absolutely active that you make choices, you don't procrastinate, that you be creative, you don't hide your talents under a bushel, that you initiate and take responsibility for God's mission. That's a good question. We could say right now, what part of God's mission do you own? 
What part do I own? At work, with my neighbours, what part do I actually own of that? Or is it everybody else's job? See, Jesus says here, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross. That's part of the cross. Moving God's mission forward. Not just being entertained all the time. That will involve work. The work, that's why he says pray that the Father may send labourers out into the harvest. There's a word why it's called labourers. To move the kingdom ball up the pitch, there's got to be some effort and grunt and intentionality and strategy and the Holy Ghost empowered power to get that thing up and over that line because time is short. In fact, if you fully surrender your life, fully surrender your life, if you become a wholly devoted follower of Jesus, often it will require courage to fight the status quo. Fight it. Don't put up with it. Change. The Holy Spirit will need you and want you to change to move His kingdom forward. It does not mean that you cease to use your mind when you surrender or ask questions or think or sit back and cruise. Surrender. I'll give, I want to give you a clear definition for this. Surrender is the glad and voluntary acknowledgement that there is a God and it's not me. That His purposes are wiser than my purposes. Well, no kidding. And His desires are better than my desires. And if I could say this in a bit of a sentence, let me have a bash at this. Jesus does not come to rearrange the outside of my life the way I want it to be. He comes to rearrange the inside of my life the way God wants it to be. Big difference. And in surrender, I let go of my life. It's kind of a Copernican, Copernican excuse me, rev, uh, revolution of the soul where I am no longer the centre of the universe, but God is and I revolve around Him. And I say to him, I yield. I give way to you. I let it go. I will do what you say, whatever that is. I will obey your word and I'm not driving my life anymore. You are. I all want that. That's what we're talking about today. On the other hand, whereas... In our typical Christian environment, generally, when spirituality gets discussed, there are certain messages that everybody loves to hear and they want and they go into iTunes and the MP3s and they used to order the CDs. These ones are always the hot ones. When we talk about messages like, well, no matter what you've done, no matter how much of a mess you made in your life, God still loves you. Everybody likes that message. Everybody. And people want those MP3s and they used to buy the CDs in those days. Or if there's a message, you know, that's around, well, you get so busy and so exhausted and your words are hard and you can't run so fast, you need some margin in your life. And then we hear a message like, well, God wants you to be rested and refreshed. And everybody likes that message. I know, I know, because I know how many of you listen to them because I see the counts. But when we hear a message that you 
need to surrender. That you are sinful and stiff-necked and stubborn. That's not the whole truth about you or me, but that's the truth about us. And you are self-centered, often in secret ways that not many people would know. And your desires will be very often self-serving and even your ability to perceive your own brokenness is somewhat shaded and blinded because of self-deception. You and I need to bend the knee and submit our hearts and confess our sin and put Jesus as chairman of the board as the driver, as King Jesus, the position rightly befitting King Jesus would be, the driver's seat. Is everybody excited about that message? I can see it in your faces. <laughs> I'll tell you one person who doesn't always want to hear that message and he's standing here talking to you, me. That's a tremendous challenge. Surrendering to Christ is not easy, but it leads to freedom and life. And I know that because I have thoroughly enjoyed my life in the IT world and in the consulting world. I've enjoyed the work, I've enjoyed the rewards. But years ago, Kimberly and I came to a growing sense of gratitude for that and just a calling and also thanking God, and we thought, well, how much more, Lord? How much more can we be blessed? And we thought we came to a sense that we need, we, we have more than enough. How can we now use our lives? Well, do we just keep the pedal going flat stick in that world? But we didn't. We sensed a, a, an increasing sense of gratitude and calling for a God who had given us life and love to enjoy. And we came to a place, we had three kids at that stage and in my career where I sensed that God was calling me to turn over the keys and the driving wheel to Him. And I felt very much on the Scripture here in Luke 12, much is required from those to whom much is given for their responsibility is greater. I didn't say that. Jesus did Much is required from those to whom much is given. And every single person in this room today is a multi-millionaire in comparative terms. Today I can show you two billion people that live under two bucks a day. See, Jesus, I noticed Jesus even, he even pointed out the widow who gave a mite See, all these other guys, they gave out of their abundance. Every one of us gives out of our abundance. Much is required from those whom much is given, for their responsibility is greater. It's a scary, scary step of faith. To leave a secure job and a clear career path, all I knew was I said, God, I don't know where this is going, but if this is what you want me to do for me, I will let go of this need also to be a businessman. It had been a dream of mine for so long. 
I had no idea what I would do and what that would look like. What would be even left of my life? I don't know who will be, but I remember saying to God, I'll trust you. I'll try to do the best at whatever you give me to do. And that's a bit of a mind shift too. Redefining what success is. Many of in this room have tried that and have grappled with that. Keep on going until Jesus makes it clear to you what success is. I said, I remember God in this area of my life, it's hard, it's very hard. But all right, all right, all right, even though I am married with three children and jumping off into something I don't know, I will do it because I clearly hear you saying enough is enough. So it's strange to look back now, 21 years ago, to see this, I was really dying to nothing. It's what the world had shaped my thinking into. And of course, I still have a lot of surrendering to do, a lot of dying to do. But one of the things I am learning is on the other side of surrender, on the other side of death to self, is freedom and life. Now this gets deeply to the issue of surrender. I cannot surrender to God unless I trust He has my best interests at His heart. I can't do it. I can't do it otherwise. And Jesus has a lot to say about death to self. But it's always better than the death of a lesser self, of a false self, of a misappropriated self. So that a better self and a nobler self can come to life. It's always death to desires and behaviours that will be detrimental to me anyway. So that I can come alive and thrive as a person God wants me to be. Basically, life works better when Jesus is driving. And your life works better when Jesus is driving. Here's why. You receive power through surrender that you cannot obtain any other way. You get stronger through surrender to Jesus. You receive freedom through submission that you will never otherwise know. See, the funny thing in our world is that we think of surrender as defeat. Surrender as loss. Turns out, the only way to be stronger in Christ is to surrender to Him fully. And surrender not just in that area, but also with alcohol and with addictions and habits and brokenness and sin in general. Surrender your will to Jesus. Willpower alone will never do it. But you need to surrender your will to Him and let Him empower you. So the only way to be free is I have to hand over the keys. I don't want to do it many times and neither do you. Now Jesus put this like this. I'd like you to read this verse in uh, Luke 9, up on the screen or on you. Luke 9, 23. Let's read this together aloud. Whoever wants to be my disciple must... A couple of key words in there, but the one I want to point out to you is the word daily. Today we're in church and I love God and the music's great and the message penetrated my heart. I could sense God touching me. But then there's tomorrow, Monday. And then Tuesday. And then Wednesday. Sadly, 
It is possible for believers to lose their first love. That they had when they first received Christ as saving Lord. And they surrendered all they had and were to Him. How do you know that? Well, if you look on the screen, it says in Revelation 2.4, this is Jesus speaking. He says, yet I hold this against you. What is it? You have forsaken. You have forgotten your first love. See, there's a constant temptation to place one's own will above God's. And here's how it works. I know. And I want to take back what I've given up to reclaim what was forsaken. Tough one. It becomes especially attempting to compromise our commitment when the cost becomes too high or the pain or the difficulty and we just give up. Too hard. I want it in my terms. I want it comfortable. Paul puts it this way. Romans 12.1 Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies. In other words, we'd say it this way. Denver would say, put your body on the line. Put it up there. That's a challenge. Strong challenge. Put your body on the line as a living sacrifice. Holy. Look at this. I love this part. And pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. You want to worship God? This is it. The idea here is a continuous offering daily. Paul's now saying, now it's your choice. You surrender some of your time daily to spend with me in my word. Would you surrender it? Or is it, no, I'm in driving seat here, God, too busy, got to get to the next job, next thing on my task list. Are you surrendered? Day by day, moment by moment, John, the beloved disciple, says it this way. Beautiful way of saying it. He must become greater and I must become less. Let me be clear, it's going to feel like you're dying. It's going to scare you. But your shepherd and King Jesus says it is the only way to true life. So in our lives, here's a question all the time. Who's driving? Who's really driving your life? So here are your three options. You only have three. I only have three. And you can do whatever one of these three you want, but here they are. So it's because I never want you to get to heaven and say, it wasn't clear. So here they are, three options. One, you can live with a rebellious heart towards God. And that looks like this. God, it's my car, my keys, my life, my way. I want nothing to do with you. That is your choice. And I will live the way I want to live. I don't want you now. And what you are obviously by saying is it will be completely irrational to say, oh, when you get to, you know, when you step off this planet, oh, now I want you, no, no. What you have now is what you take with you. You choose it now. He says, you deny me in front of men, I'll deny you in front of my Father in heaven. 
You accept me, I'll stand before, I'll stand in front of you and my Father in heaven. Maybe you're saying, stay out of my life. I don't want to talk to you. I'm not going to believe in you. That is your choice. God never forces anybody. So you can live with a rebellious heart and attitude towards God. I know people like that. But probably more a live option for us guys sitting here today is the second option. You can live with a divided heart, a divided heart. So Jesus is in the car, but you're still driving. And this is how this works. I'll keep this area under my control, thanks. You just take care of my salvation and that, but I'm, I'm hanging on to this. This pattern of behaving, this pattern of living, I want to do my way. This relationship, I want to choose the ones I want under my control. When it comes to the mouth, I will hold on to this grudge. You make the choice. Or I will enjoy that pleasure I get from this habit. And it's saying, I still want control over my life. I certainly want control over my time. Don't impinge too much of my time because other priorities are far more important to me. And maybe one day in the future when I'm ready. That's how the thinking often goes, the confused thinking goes. And we pretend to keep these things conveniently hazy in our minds, not too sharp. And there's a reason for that. What I think God is seeking to do for every single person here today is to make a really sharp and clear distinction. Who's driving? Now, you should know this if you live with a divided heart because it will make you miserable. You'll be kind of in no man's land. And sometimes you can keep that issue of a lack of a serenity heart vague and fuzzy and kind of hidden, even from your spouse. But sometimes it will be very vivid. It will be riveting. And you'll catch a glimpse of this. And if you live with an issue of a lack of a surrendered and vague and fuzzy and hidden commitment, it will block you from that sense of ease and life and freedom that Jesus gives as a result of a surrendered heart to Him. And if you keep Jesus out of the driver's seat, it will have like a low-grade stomach complaint. You will feel it gnawing away at you. Only one thing is real peace and real life, and that is, oddly enough, a completely surrendered heart. When you say, I'll turn my life and my will over to you, God. And I know there's a cost, but I'll do that. Will you do that? You lose a life, but you gain a real life. And the life you gain is way better than the life you lose. And it turns out that nothing you lose was really worth keeping. In fact, none of it could ultimately be kept anyway. Paul said it this way in Galatians 2, I have been crucified with Christ. 
Now those are not just words. He really meant something here. He says here, I, my false self, my self-centeredness, my hiddenness of sin, I have been crucified. And God, with your help through Jesus, I'm gonna die to that as best as I can. It's no longer I that wants to live, but I want Christ to live in me. And that old false self no longer lives, but Christ is in me. And this life is so much better. So here's a question. Who's in the driver's seat? I can one, live with a rebellious heart towards God. Two, I can live with a divided heart. Or three, finally, you can live with a surrendered heart. Have you fully surrendered your heart and life to Jesus? Because Jesus, you will find, will be relentless about pursuing you in this area. He was in his day. Here's an example. A woman gets caught in adultery. And he says to her, I don't condemn you. Now go though and sin no more. That wasn't a license to sin. He said, what you did was wrong, confessed, forgiven. Now don't go do it again. So here's my point to you this morning. Surrender your sexuality to God. Your habits, your thoughts, your desires and your actions. Surrender it to God today. If you need help with that, to bring that into the light with some other people as, as, as part of that surrender, do whatever it takes. You surrender to Jesus. A lot of time it's around money. Now a rich young ruler rolls out to Jesus and he's done a lot of good things. He's been to church every day. You know, done the whole kit and caboodle. And Jesus knows that this place is a place where this man needs to surrender. It's not that he had money. The problem was that money had him. How do you know if money's got him? If you won't part with it, it's got you. You're a slave to it rather than you using it as a tool for God's kingdom. Now compare his approach. Jesus challenges him on the area he needs to surrender. And he says, I won't do it. He says, okay, you let him go. Now many people today run after, well, how about if you just half of it? We'd try and strike a deal, Right? He didn't, he just let him go because that was the issue that was stopping him. Now I want you to compare that attitude to another man called Zacchaeus. Compare that attitude to Zacchaeus who volunteers, he says, this is what he says, I quote, half of everything I own, I'm gonna give to the poor and I'm gonna pay back everybody I've cheated four times. That man's heart was changed. Jesus was in the driving seat there. Maybe it's in a relationship area. Anybody in this room try to control another person? Like a spouse? Yeah. You're sitting through this message thinking, boy, I hope that other person's really listening to this talk. <laughs> I might just get them the MP3 in case I need to hear it again. <laughs> I give up control of the other person. I give up control of my future. I give up control of having to have it my way all the time. Or maybe it's a grudge or an attitude. Maybe it's a habit. Maybe it's a job. If you struggle with this, Jesus will help you because he understands your struggle. Even when he knelt down in the garden, he said this, God, this is amazing to me. He says this, this is a, Jesus is fully divine and fully human. And he says this, I don't want this. This is Jesus speaking. I don't want the cross. 
and I don't want the weight of this and I don't want the burden. I don't want the shame. I don't want the pain. I don't want the death. I don't want it. But not my will. Be done, Father. You drive and I'll pay the cost. That's what he did. Have you ever done that? So I'm going to ask the team if they'll come up for a final song. Christ is enough for me. And I want to ask you to prepare your hearts right now for a moment of surrender. And maybe you've done this before. And maybe you've yielded your life to God. But there's kind of some area that you've been aware of today that you're still clutching onto. Maybe you never have. Maybe you've never said to God, God, it's not just that I believe in you. It's not just I want you to be working in my life for me, but I want you to drive and guide. I want you to surrender my life. I want to surrender my life to you only. Use my life for the purpose that you designed me for. So they're going to lead us in this song. And you can close your eyes if that would help you. And then we'll just have a moment to surrender. Let's prepare for that right now. I ask if you bow your heads for a moment, close your eyes, and let this moment just between you and God. Those are some words that can be so easy to say. But you know and I know in our hearts, God is tugging at some hearts in this room right now. Maybe you've never fully surrendered your life to Jesus Christ before. This is your day. And you want to say that to Him. Lord, now my time my will, my money, my future, my desires, I hand them over to you. I hand you the keys of my life. I want to surrender to you. I want you to be my leader. I want you to be my Lord. Maybe to your best awareness, you've done that before, but there's something here where God is speaking to you today and you know it and maybe it's an attitude or it's an apathy or a lackadaisicalness or a grudge or a habit 
or maybe it's around possessions or something. And in your spirit, you've been just been there. And God is calling you to say, would you surrender it today? Would you let it go? This is the day to do that. Just say, God, I give that to you. Here are the keys. In your mind's eye, picture giving him those keys and releasing them into his hands. God knows and he loves it when you respond to him in authenticity and genuineness. I know all over this room, people are doing that right now. God, as we sing these words now and join with the team, help them not just to be words. You know about all the spiritual battles going on in this place and heart and rooms of minds right now. God, as best as we can, not our will, your will. We pray this in Jesus' powerful name. And everybody said, Amen. Would you stand with